0: talk to people about the hardest wheeling right and everybody's <laughs> like well i mean that's out west that's in moab that's you know uh the rubicon that's the hardest wheeling there is And you know yeah but some of that stuff you shouldn't be in unless you're in a rock buggy or you know again an exo caged mini truck or or even or something like a bill 80 so where is the hardest wheeling for a 100 or 200 what do you think and
1: in Southern California area?
0: No, and in, just in anywhere. The
1: I mean, the stuff the stuff that I've done in Tennessee is is pretty tricky. When you introduce any kind of wet water with mud and all that, it's it's a whole different ball game. It is. Um, I I in San Diego, I had my I had a hundred series that was decently built. I we didn't really need sliders that much because of the terrain, you go to the desert and it's open desert and you can rock crawl a little bit, but you didn't have the tighter trails where you're using them to pivot off rocks. When I moved out here, it was, Oh, I need to put sliders on my 80. Um You have a lot more open trails there. You know, you have, you have, you have stuff, you have rocks and stuff in California, um, but it's just so different because you have the, the, you have like the clay mud out here and, and whatnot. So, I mean, I, I have never been to Moab. Um, So, you know, you could say, like, what's the hardest trail for a 100 or 200? Like, some of the trails, like, you know, was it, what's the, is it Hell's Revenge, the super steep one?
0: I've been there. Yeah. Okay. So, I I almost fought the 200 there.
1: So, they put a Kia, they put a Kia up it, right? That Kia commercial. So, it's like, if you drive the right line, it's not bad, but you drive a bad line anywhere and you could die. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's it's tricky. I would say, like you know, I haven't never done Black Bear Pass or or any of those trails out there,
0: but you know, you make one wrong move and you're done. Mm-hmm. So, well, Black Bear's bark is worse than its bite, I guess you could say, uh, in my opinion. But uh, but yeah, I feel like things in on the East Coast, Tennessee, you know, some of the stuff you can get into. North Georgia, uh, the Carolinas, uh for an mm-hmm. IFS truck, I think that's that's where you push it to the limit pretty much. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and really have to think about things. Um in Moab, there are technically hard things, but again, you've just got to do it. You're not really in all that risk of damaging your truck that much. You're uh, kind of going and, slow,
1: light on the throttle and things like yeah, that.
0: You know, there's trails over here on the east coast i mean you've got trees everywhere and so many pinch points like there's a place on 22 you know there's a there's that pinch point uh about when you're coming out about three quarters of the way through where there's a tree and it's throwing you into that tree and Mm -hmm. uh when it's wet you get that all the time and then the the ruts the off camber places and i tell that's another thing about cruisers on the rocks uh the event um I'm really hoping to get some of the some of my West Coast 100 guys, 200 guys out here, uh, some of the, the Rocky Mountain guys over here, so they can experience something a little different and see. Oh, it's totally different. Yeah. Completely. Uh, I, I mean, my, yeah. my first time at Windrock, I had just finished a Moab trip. So I was in Moab by myself, and I ran Top of the World. I ran Poison Spider. Uh, I ran Hell's Revenge by myself. Nobody with me, Miss Potter, right? And so when I went to Windrock for the first time, this was like two weeks afterwards. I was like, "I got this, no problem. I can go through here and uh, just just decimate it." And a hundred feet onto the first trail, I was like, "Oh shit, what yeah. what have I gotten myself into?" Yeah, you know? it's totally different. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's so it's we- it's your own ball game, right? the 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 difficult thing about california trails in the desert is there's nothing to winch off of right you know you have a lot of sand and there's no trees like i had a winch on my 100 i never used it because there was nothing to hook it to it was just to pull other people out so you know you have the, the soft sand variables and you have you know keep your momentum for the open desert and you have silt that you have to go through and, and it's, it's just a different ball game but i would say the trails out here are harder than the trails that I've been in, in the West Coast and in, in the Southern California deserts and whatnot, um, for the type of stuff I did in my hundred series. So
2: you heard it here first, people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I know people will argue that, but I don't know. Windrock, there's double diamond blacks that, and uh, that are red blacks, double diamond that, you know. It, it, It'll challenge anything.
2: Anything. That's um, a fair challenge, you know. If if you believe that it's not as hard as it is out of the on west out. coast, right. just come on out. Come on out
0: and show me what you got.
1: Well,
2: let's go. <laughs> Put them on the. There rock. was a trail at Windrock driving up, and
1: I looked over and I was like, "That's a trail." I probably couldn't <laughs> oh, even yeah. walk through it. I probably could not walk down without falling.
0: So you are Red's way. double diamond blacks and reds. You see off on the map, and you say, "Wait a second, that's." That's a trail, yeah. It doesn't,
1: like, you could not hike down that with, like, hiker poles. Like, no. just, (laughs) I couldn't see a vehicle going down it. But, you know.
2: You talk about... on the the,
0: rocks, we're we're again... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that, you know, one of the last level uh, we're going to have are going to be the difficult trail. And so we will be offering some blacks to people but again you know sliders are going to be a must uh you know skids highly recommended i've I've had some guys run 30 with uh, without skids and at the end of it uh you know they were basically crying and shotgun and beers um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, on 30 I've witnessed two 100s blow their front diff on the same obstacle we call it diff destroyer um wow, you know man. and uh it's but yeah you know it's not the end of the world i, I just want to say if you blow your front diff uh i'll crawl under there pull your drive shaft pull your drive <laughs> flanges, and 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 we'll get you back out in two-wheel drive and then get you back on the trail so not uh you will need a gear set at some point. though. <laughs> <laughs> two wheel drive in
1: four low is fun. <laughs> I broke my front U uh, joint on my 80 series out in the desert and I drove home in two wheel drive and I, I had to take the, the dash apart and take the wire out and use my hazard switch to lock because I don't have an actual button to lock the center diff. Oh, wow. It yeah. just does it when you go into four low. So I knew that trick. And I put in four low, which was only rear wheel drive, and I power braked it, and I was like, "This is awesome!" Right on the street with thirty fives, fully loaded. I was smoking the back tires. I was like, "This is this is
0: pretty cool." You have a, a are you locked? Have a rear locker?
3: Yeah, yeah. I had oh, I bet that was cool then. That's it i always
0: wanted to try that, man. You could turn get some hella donuts. I would. Think. Oh, you're two
1: hundred. Oh yeah, my eighty. It was it was rough. I mean, I was in four low and. And the front started pushing, but I did get some smoke coming off the tires. And my <laughs> son and daughter that were in the back seat were like, What is that?
0: Well, uh, <laughs> a, a, a well uh, aged 80 at this point probably has what 47 horsepower. Or something? <laughs> <I> mean,
1: <laughs> if it had 39, I'd be happy. <laughs> she's she's a dog, she's slow, but you know, <laughs> it gets me there. Keeps me from y'all, were, breaking something.
2: Uh, y'all were talking about how water changes the trails out here so much. And uh, I just was just thinking about, you know, some of those same trails we were doing in October last year, Jeff, we're all dry and and we pretty much had really no issue getting through them and, and going through a couple of weeks ago around some really? of the same trails. I had to winch twice in areas where I had good wheel placement, but because it was wet, I had slid into an area where one, I was either high centered or there just wasn't enough grip to actually get the, the big old girl over whatever I was on top of at the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. and it just makes such a big like that. Just the, the variable of water in the East coast is that that's what makes those trails so difficult water. And then as you said it to the trees, because I also you know, have bashed the door in because of a tree hanging out on the side of a trail, which wouldn't happen in a desert. <laughs> it was because I hit a root, you know, from a tree, no, um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's those things. And, um, the, the rocks that we get out here too, you can kind of slide in those rocks. It, it just makes, um, such a big difference in in just trying to keep that right line and, and stay stable through it. Even when you're in four low and barely in the throttle, just that little bit of a wheel break on a rock and you just slide wherever the gravity takes you at that point.
1: And that's a good point too, with, with, I think you were talking about this earlier, Lee, about being locked or not locked. And in my 80, when I'm on anything slick, being locked is like a disadvantage because I'll be going up. I, there's a, there's a little trail right from my house that I play around all the time. And when it's wet, I can't, I don't lock the front locker because there's a, there's like a rut on these rocks. And I just slide the front end and it literally throws me off the trail because it's locked in the front. And once I unlock it, it just allows just one tire to grab and It doesn't slide my vehicle over to the left or the right when I'm on it.
0: Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned that I've kind of had a discussion or I guess more of a, uh, a debate with some of my buddies the other day, cause The first day of G Smitter or second day, I got to follow a locked 80 that was running 35s with just something simple like a uh, old man emu, you know, two or three inch lift, not, Mm -hmm. not, not really built. Um, And he was struggling mightily. uh, You also uh, heard that
2: first year people. that's not a fully built
3: rig <laughs> yeah. according to lee well i mean if you're
0: gonna if, you I agree 80, with if you're not running 37s you know i don't know but uh but um anyway he was struggling mildly on things that i was i was just walking through with the 200 and i think the the 200 or even a 100 with with sophisticated a track you have a huge advantage over 100%, you know, um, especially in off camber spots, like you were talking about, Yeah, mm-hmm. um, let a track do its work and you don't have to worry about sliding if you're locked. Um, yep. and once you learn how to use it, you know, properly, there's a lot right? of mystique and around the 80. Right. Well, but you know, you have to, you, to, to wheel an 80, an, a, a locked 80, um, with no, electronic traction control you have to have a lot of experience there to use it the truck or otherwise the truck's always going to have more capability than you do you know mm-hmm. um some of these guys that go out and they buy blocked 80s and they think they're just going to be able to wheel wherever all the time if you know th- i feel like a lot of them would be better off with a truck with a track Um, Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it's going to, it's going to help them, uh, you know, that it's, you don't have to, it's not as raw as an 80 without a doubt. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you know what you're doing in an 80, you've got long travel and 37s, you're, you're basically unstoppable. But, uh, but, uh, you know, stock build and, and build for build, uh, an 80 on thirty fives versus a 200 that's locked on thirty fives, or even factory locked versus a 200. If you could factory lock a 200, um, I think you wouldn't, you would see that there's not a huge amount of difference, uh, in capability. Um, so, uh,
1: just you have the power, you have, like you said, the A-track and, you know, the, the only, the only advantage is that front articulation, right. you know, for something where you're getting pretty extreme. But you know, like I did the rally, and I did the rally with you know LJ. We did it with a, a Jeep Wrangler that's open diff, and we went through all the same things. And there was also a stock Tacoma, bone right. stock with just thirty ones, that did the whole same rally as I did with my lock eighty. And it's like it comes to a point of you know, it's the driver. You know, and how what in the line that you're picking. You know, exactly. you don't you don't need a locked vehicle to do trails. You you can have something simple and just be smart and learn and follow behind and Hell, you know, just have experience. a experience.
0: Exactly. Yeah, right. there's no shame. No shame. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd much uh, rather winch than risk body damage um, in my vehicle you know? Oh yeah. Um, mechanical damage is one thing. I mean, I can do that. I don't do body work though. Um, <laughs> I'm not, not anything. Well, I do actually, I don't know if y'all have seen some of the posts I do on Instagram <laughs> where I use a lot of duct tape yeah. uh, <laughs> that, that blends in really well with the black paint on my truck. Uh, most people don't even know it's there, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm
1: the
0: a track <laughs> is the newer generation, uh, with MTS Multi Terrain Select, uh, once you really understand that and and what it's doing, uh, it's gosh, they're so capable, um, and and you just you don't have anything like that in you know pre two thousand Land Cruisers. Um,
1: so with the, with with saying that, what's the amount that you you know what's the percentage of like wheeling trails? do you use actually the rear locker or even the front versus just allowing a track to do its thing?
0: Well, I'm good a good question. I'm one of those. Okay. So you got guys out there, especially the bill 80 guys that try and do everything they can't unlock. That's something they brag about. Right. I'm the guy that I feel like if you got lockers, use them. Um, but not, you know, like you said, with, with off camera situations, a lot of times it's not the best option. Uh, I'll run an entire trail, uh, with my rear locked. I don't have any problems with that. Um, If it's, if it's a green trail flat with gravel, of course I'm not, but if I get into a rocky trail, um, with a lot of obstacles, I don't wait until I get to an obstacle. A lot of times I'll run the entire trail with the rear locked and I'm not going to lock the front until I need it. Most of the time with the rear locked and a track doing its thing on the front with MTS uh it's almost like a front locker that's it, what a track is
2: it's just an electronic yeah. braking locker right i right. mean that's and, exactly and it, what, you're, what you're getting it
0: does that and and you don't get the slippage off camber that you mm-hmm. like jeff was talking
2: them. about yeah yeah yeah
0: so lockers are not always just about off-road capability either it's also about strengthening your uh your ring and pin and your carrier so you don't get mm-hmm. flat. so to me if you're a 100 series owner um it's really something to look into for that reason especially if you're going to re-gear mm-hmm. but always if you if you're off-roading 100 at some point you're going to blow your front diff that's just that's just all there is to it if you're following me uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. especially that, and you've especially uh, got to right. replace it with a locker.
2: Uh, yeah, a locker, early late '90s. you gonna have some yeah, trouble. Yeah. Well,
0: you know, I've never seen a two-pinion bust. I've never really? seen a two-pinion break. But in the last year, I've seen like six late models blow. Never. The last one I saw was an
2: '06, yeah. and they apparently got the strongest front ends yeah. of any of the builds, right?
0: Well, that's it's like being the tallest little person in the room. Uh,
3: Still the tallest.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know that's that's uh, that's the weak link on a 100. Uh, I mean the the front suspension. It, it'd be nice if that was not if we had a little more travel, uh, but definitely. Unfortunately, and and we talked about this a lot at G Smith or me and some of the guys after I broke my front axle. But so on the one hundred, an OEM front CV is stronger than your gear set. So if you get into a situation, you're going to break right. your front diff before you break an axle, which sucks. That which almost leads me to believe if I had a one hundred, maybe I'll put aftermarket axles in there just to act as a fuse. Um, yeah, rate, yeah. Since, we, since we have a larger uh, and stronger ring gear and carrier setup, actually, finally, the uh, the CV axle is the fuse. So I broke my CV axle instead of my my gear set, which is great because again, you can go to the auto parts store and pick up you know a, a CV axle for a hundred dollars versus yeah. you know having to do a a, a new gear. So yeah. For all you 100 guys out there, if you're running after market CVs, don't feel bad about it because that might be the thing that that saves your uh, your front diff, actually.
3: Yeah. Bam! there we go. I love that take. But yeah, uh, but,
0: but yeah to the original question, uh, I really don't use my front locker that much.
3: Um, when on your 200.
1: Yeah, I, I do. Is it hard to is is it how hard is it to turn once you turn on that front locker? Is it as I mean, my 80s almost I can barely yeah, turn it? You,
3: you forget
0: about it, you know. Okay. If, forget if you're about calling, it. You can turn, but if you're coming off an obstacle and, and you've got to make an immediate left or an immediate right, yeah. Um, yeah, that that's not happening. And and another thing that I need to change, um I feel like is, is so I've got a factory 80. Rotary switch for my locker, uh, in, in okay. the 200. Uh, uh, actually, they make person. a they make a panel for the 200 that that holds the. Uh, I guess for other countries where you can get a, or other markets where you can get a rear locker that holds the switch. Uh, so it's oh, very yeah. OEM factory cool. yeah. look, but you can't lock the front without locking the rear. Yeah, uh, and I think there's sometimes I know there's sometimes where you'd want to. Especially in V notches, uh, where it would be more beneficial to lock the front than lock the rear, and I've been kind f- up letting the, the, the rear
1: get pulled along.
0: You know, I, right. I almost flopped the truck again at G'smitter this week uh, in a V notch coming off of Panther Rock. Um, it, uh, it I was riding the V notch pretty good, but you know, in 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 Tennessee and the Carolinas, Georgia, whatever. A lot of those v, not- v notches are washes in the clay, and it's not stone. Um, to whereas, if you go out to Moab and you're in a V notch, it's all stone and slick rock, mm-hmm. and that's not going to give. The problem with eighty one hundred pounds on a on a clay V notch yeah. is that you can be riding that V notch just right, and all of a sudden it crushes underneath,
3: slips out.
0: Yeah, yeah, not well. See, mine didn't slip; it just it crushed. Oh, really? Yeah the clay there to, to put me mm-hmm. in and then with my rear locked and all the torque um next thing i know my front is eight feet in the air you know and i'm just <laughs> i'm just blowing in the wind <laughs> i have to get some guys on my my sliders on the other side so i can yeah. i can crawl through um, wow. but i wonder in cases like that if i just had my front locker um if that if that would have kept the front down a little better uh, allowing the you know, one wheel maybe not to not to pull in the back,
3: mm-hmm.
0: Um, but I, I guess that's getting into some fairly technical wheeling there. But um it happened; <laughs> it can happen.
2: Yeah, exactly. we just went yeah. to a tech talk. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, that's that's a good point, and I can definitely see the way you describe that as as if you had the rear unlocked, you'd have one spinning to where it would allow your front wheels to pull you up safely instead of putting in what happened to you where there's so much power in the rear that it's just pulling the front straight up in the air almost. Right.
0: Yes. Uh, and that definitely happened to me out in, uh, on, on hell's revenge, uh, hell's gate obstacle, which is the V notch where you're already going up, you know, what seems like 60 degrees. I don't, I don't know what the actual degree is, but it's, uh, steep. <laughs> it's steep. And then, so when the front comes up there five feet, geez, I mean, you are looking like, yeah, straight there. Yeah. And, uh, and my spotter's like, you know, just ease it forward as slow as you've ever eased it. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm with you. Cause that's <laughs> one thing about wheeling. I, one thing that I feel like, uh, I, I may not pick the best lines and I don't have, uh, you know, I'm not the best wheeler in the world, but, I will stay calm and trust my spotter. If it Smart. seems like everything's about to go south and I'm about to flip over or I'm about to crush the truck, I stay calm and I work with my spotter. And and it was very difficult to do that on Hell's Gate because if I flop the truck, I wasn't just going to flop it over on its back. I was going to, you know, roll it probably 10 times.
3: Yeah. Oh, down, yeah. Going down, down.
0: the uh, but, uh, but yeah, he was telling me just to ease it forward. And I did calmly as calmly as I could. And every inch I'd go forward, the truck would come up four inches, you know? Oh, wow. And, uh, but, uh, but yeah, when you're outside,
1: everything is so simple. Cause you can see everything. You can right. see the wheel placement, but when you're in the driver's seat, all that goes away. Even right. like when you reverse it and you're spying someone, you're like, oh, you're fine. Just come on. Just come on forward. And you're like, I feel like I'm going to die right now. And you don't, you
0: don't realize that. Yeah. I, that's one thing I do not like doing. I do not like spotting people. Um, you know, that's a huge responsibility in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I'll spot my good friends, but, uh, it's, uh, I like to like a cruisers on the rocks, man. I'm going to make sure we have some really, really good guides leading the trails, uh, that are really good spotters. Uh, probably won't be me, <laughs> but uh, but I'll be out there on the trail with everybody yeah. anyway.
3: Cool.
1: Yeah, it's a sketchy situation. At wind Rock, when I was there in March, when it was raining, a Forerunner slipped into a V notch. He was trying to stay high to the right, and he ended up sliding in. And he had a big rooftop tent, and I mean, it was just kind of teetering, like blowing in the wind on an angle. And he's in there, and I'm like hold on, just stay there. And like, we had people jump on the slider. So I was like, yeah. I was like, what do you want to do in this situation? I was like, I'll help you to the best of my ability, but I'm not a professional. And like, I don't want you to tell, I don't want to, like, I didn't know him really. He was in our group, but I just met him and I'm like, listen, I don't, if I don't want your vehicle to flip just as much as you do. I, I just, I, I can tell you the best way to get out of this. And we hooked up two winch lines and we got the vehicle secure. And what happens is when you have so many people talking and so many people trying to say, "I'll go for or go this way," it gets too confusing. And I was like, "Okay, everyone, just stop. I'll be like the lead spotter, I guess, if you want to call it." And let's just focus on one person. And like, I think that's having one person talk and direct. And oh, definitely is that's is so always the
0: easiest. It's it's hard when everybody's around taking photos and things like that, you know, and you are having two or three people because one of them will be at a different angle than the lead spotter. And the lead spotter sees what he wants, but the other guy doesn't. And so he's trying to say, do another thing. Uh, But as a driver and I can tell other drivers, don't be afraid uh, to say, Hey, give me one guy, all of you guys, you know, just, just pop down. You know, if if it's like that, don't, don't let two or three or four guys uh, confuse the situation. And I, I had to do that at G Smitter one time. I had to, I had to raise my voice and say, Hey, let me, let me have my man up here. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, uh, not only could you lose the truck, it's uh it can be dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so um, that's another thing, but uh, that's why I don't like to do a lot of spotting myself, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, winching uh, I've been in some situations in Winrock rock and uh, Ozarks where we've had to tie multiple lines to my truck I've, I've got that rooftop tent oh back to that too uh you know <laughs> lj you were you were saying that earlier so when i did the seven week trip um uh, and i spent some time in wyoming and idaho uh, i just came through yellowstone um and i was getting into uh the tetons
3: Jackson, and i had a camp yeah.
0: so like all the camp spaces in the national forest and the wilderness were taken so you know basically you're just dispersed camping in a uh you know a a undeveloped area but all the developed campsites or even regular dispersed campsites had bear lockers right and uh you know what bear lockers are
2: i don't know tell me what bear lockers are
0: so yeah so that that's where you put your you put your food, anything that might smell, smell in the bear locker and, uh, and hide it away. So a bear can't get it at night. But then I realized that, you know, I'm just laying here in the swag. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I can't get in a bear locker. Um, so it was, it was, it was those nights by myself out there. Um, and then every little sound you hear is driving you nuts. That's, that's when I decided to do the rooftop tent, not for comfort or anything like that, but, uh, so I could get that being a bear snack out of my head.
2: Yeah, well, uh, there's been a couple times, and you know this being out here in, in the Appalachian Mountains is um, coyotes are are very real out here, and and you hear them all over the place. And so that was one one thing that I really enjoy the rooftop tent aspect is you hear them coyotes going crazy, and you ain't even worried about it. You know, don't matter mm-hmm. if twenty of them come run up on your camp, you're you're fine you're up in a rooftop tent and and they're not going to come up there and get you right. Um, so I, I like that aspect of it. Just being out of the elements when you're there um, and, and being able to be safe from those wild animals, uh, wherever you yeah. may be.
1: Did you ever do any in-vehicle camping?
0: I never have. Um, I tend to carry too much stuff which I'm totally against, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, w- when you go on a trip, longer trips, well, you know, a week, two, three weeks, whatever, um, even just carrying the simple supplies tends to build up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't had the room. Um, uh, I carry, Oh, I'm, I'm not going to get into all of that, but uh, uh, Yeah. It's better for me to sleep out of the truck one way or another. I've took out my second row and built a platform so I can keep most uh. of my things in there. Uh, but no, I've, uh, there were, there were some times I thought I was going to get in the truck and sleep in the driver's seat. Um, when I was out there, I I heard some stuff in the woods and you know, <laughs> I, I basically had to get up and, and have a few drinks to be able to go to sleep. But, uh, wow. Yeah.
1: So one thing that out West is there's so much, the deserts have so much wind and out of nowhere, you'll just be chilling there. And like, you'll have this crazy, you know, 30, 40 mile hour windstorms come through. So people in the rooftop tents and sleeping in the ground tents just get blown around or up all night. And I built a platform in my hundred series. So I have a, a, the Dometic 75 liter and I built a sleep platform in the back to where, you basically fold the rear seats down and then you take a piece of wood that folds up next to the fridge and you put it in front. So it's this big, long platform and I can sleep inside with my two kids, uh, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And we would do that and I'd put on the sound machine and we would sleep through like all this wind and all this rain. And one time it was 34 mile an hour winds and my buddy was sleeping in my tent and his tent completely, I hear a knock on my window and it was like four in the morning and his tent completely blew over on him. And the poles are just broken. Like, and I'm sleeping, I'm sitting there with my kids sleeping inside. And I didn't even know it was like, I was just woke up out of like nowhere. And he's like, dude, I've been up all night. I'm freezing. It's windy. And it's like, he had no shelter at that point. I'm like, yeah oh, shoot, Um, let me get out, I guess. Um, And, you know, we didn't have the humidity in California as we do here, but I still utilize it. And, you know, if it gets hot or if it's cold, I just start my truck up and let it run with the air or the heat on. So I'm a little princess in the back of the rig, which is nice, but I have a rooftop tent and I never use it. And then I sleep inside my rig and then I have a, a gazelle that I really like. Um, but yeah, sleeping inside the rig, you know, with animals and worrying about, you know, people, you know, potentially coming up to your site at night. There's just like a peace of mind of like, I'm inside my rig, which is nice.
3: Mm-hmm. Especially
1: with my kids in there too.
0: Well, I've ran into some pretty tough wind with my rooftop 10. I, I can't. <laughs> on the beach, uh, uh, Padre Island, uh, you know, national seashore earlier this year. And that was probably a mistake. Um, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) I've I've learned, you know, I've got an eye camper and Uh if I park the truck so that the, when deployed the, uh, the V and the hard shell are facing into the wind, I don't Mm -hmm. really have any issues if i nice if i park it the other way i another thing i do which kind of over overlanders um think is nuts is so when i cannonball across the country sometimes i'm just trying to make colorado or utah and i'm not really concerned with what's in between uh georgia and my final destination so i'll drive Mm -hmm. 16 hours and then pull into a rest area or a welcome center and actually sleep there in my tent at night um and uh oh really just yeah just in the on the roof yeah it works good for me um yeah some people think that's nuts uh but it works good and it saved me that's that's probably been the biggest thing about the rooftop tent i wasn't able to do that in a ground tent or a uh, or, or the swag obviously you could do it in your truck but i was at a uh, late one night i pulled over somewhere in new mexico at a rest area and it was dark and i wasn't it was late i wasn't paying attention and later that night the wind i don't know they got up 40 50 miles an hour and i was parked the other way where the wind was hitting the, the open section of the v and it held up i mean it, but yeah that was uh that was definitely not a a restful night i learned something that night to uh you Know if there is any wind blowing or you think there's going to be wind blowing, make sure you park your uh mark park your truck right where it, it breaks down yeah. mm-hmm. correctly.
3: Yeah, um, what's
0: the uh, what's the coldest camping you guys have ever done?
2: I camped uh, Convers- it's probably uh-huh. 25 degrees. I was in the Ozarks this summer or this winter when that ice storm came through, yeah, and uh, and it got down. We had, we had four or five inches of snow on the ground, and, um, yeah, it was probably down to 20, 25, 20 degrees. I ended up sleeping inside the cruiser on that trip. Uh, I took uh, Jeff's idea to where I had it started up before I went to bed and got it nice and warm in there. And then I woke up at, like, 630, and I was like, man, it's kind of chilly. I turned the car on and got it warm and turned it back off again and was good to go. But yeah, I, I haven't done in the, in the rooftop tent is, that's been pretty much a summer to, to fall. I mean, we did the rally. It got down to maybe 30 one night at the 30, rally We had 31, 30, one,
1: 30 yeah. 31, the one morning. So that's the coldest on in your tent.
2: The heater I've done all night.
3: Yeah. What what about 28 you? in my tent. Twenty-eight degrees, oh. so below freezing in my tent. Yeah, yeah, those bodies like in a relatively small tent. It's it keeps warm. So
0: mine, mine doesn't keep much uh, heat in. Not mm. like my swag yeah. did. Yeah, that swag. Yeah. You know, I I've got down to fifteen degrees, and I was I was toasty in there with just a just one little sleeping bag, pretty much. Yeah. But I also. You know, i I'm a little furnace. I put off yeah. some heat, but uh, <laughs> I but
2: yeah, saw I, yeah. y'all when when you did your Ozarks trip, y'all got called in the beginning of that ice storm, didn't you? Yeah. So <laughs>
0: it got down to zero. uh yeah, It was cold. When, cold. Yeah. Yeah. That that's cold. That's I
3: can <laughs> that's tell you cold, when really
0: things <laughs> re, when things get below ten degrees. Actually, when things get below fifteen, and you're wheeling, uh, weird stuff starts going down. Um, but definitely in that below zero to five to eight to 10 degree range, um, mm-hmm. definitely things start <laughs> start getting very, very strange. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we were having to use, uh, I had to use a buddy heater, a little propane heater in, yep. in my rooftop tent. Um, and that worked really well, but the wheeling aspect of it um, was very interesting. Uh, the trucks would freeze you know as you know in, in the ozarks you go through a ton of water it seems mm-hmm. like there's just water hole after water hole then a water crossing then a water hole then a then a water crossing all that was frozen i mean we were breaking two inches of ice um almost enough to where we'd probably be able to drive over if our rigs weren't so heavy but uh <laughs> we were doing that we we got up on a uh We got up and it was five degrees one morning, and we hit a trail we'd never done before. we didn't. We should have looked at the top of map because uh, if when we looked later, the trail just was going, you know, straight over um, over lines. It was, yeah, um, yeah, going right over the
2: mountain.
0: Yeah, Uh, we got to the first obstacle, and it was cold. That was ice pockets in the ground it was, i think it was around eight degrees in but uh it wasn't <laughs> snowing yet and so my buddy aaron was the first guy up he got about halfway up this this rocky obstacle uh, that kind of wound its way up the mountain and we had to winch him uh, and that took some time uh, but then it was my turn up i got to about the same spot and dipped out and uh we went to pull cable And my winch line was frozen solid. Mm -hmm. So, um, we had, (laughs) yeah, we had to kind of get Aaron's truck back a little closer and pull us, get a strap on my winch line to pull Mm -hmm. it loose. Then we finally got it going and my winch broke. It sounded like a coffee grinder and just (laughs) would not pull anymore. Um,
2: did the gears inside of it strip out or something was there so cold it's what it
0: sounded like i was oh. almost positive that, that that's what it was uh so we did some some more spotting um i backed up was able to hit it with some momentum and and pop up over you know over where i was diffed out so i got on up uh, and we're probably an hour into things now and it had started to snow so my buddy's 100 behind me was sitting at the sitting below all this and it was his turn but his truck had been sitting there for an hour right Mm -hmm. just sitting there so he gets in his truck and puts it in drive and it goes backwards down the mountain. uh i didn't see it aaron and the other guy with me connor saw it uh they said it was the scariest thing they've ever seen um the guy that was driving it enrique finally had to turn the wheel and push the truck up the mountain to get it to stop. I don't, if he would have went left, he would have been gone for good. It, it was,
3: mm.
0: so he was really shook up at that point.
3: Rightfully so. <laughs> so. Me
0: and Aaron were at the top of this obstacle. Enrique and Connor were at the bottom. Enrique could, couldn't even talk uh, mm-hmm. after that. Um, what happened? Those guys were running aftermarket performance pads and they didn't have enough heat in them mm-hmm. and they would not grip at all. Uh so so when he pushed his brakes there was act there was nothing yeah Uh, so what we ended up having to do with them both him and connor was get them in a flat spot and Mm -hmm. and have them go forward five foot and slam on brakes go reverse five foot slam on brakes go forward five foot you know did this about 20 times until they built up some heat Um, (laughs) but then they're like you know we can't get up there so they had to back back to the uh -hmm. to the trailhead and just left us basically um and uh we said we'll 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 be back down y'all y'all go ahead and get back to camp take care of enrique Um, yeah so we're up there my winch doesn't work and now it has snowed so much and the temperature dropped again we can't figure out how to get back down because if you ease down every time you'd hit the brake the truck would just slide on the snow and ice so there was no going mm-hmm. back down. Wow. We tried to go forward. And then about a quarter of a mile, we ran into another spot that was uh, even worse. So we couldn't get up it. Mm. You know, there were thoughts of, you know, what are, are we going to have to abandon the trucks up here? Um, But finally, I said, Aaron, I'm going to have you winch me down. So, and he's like, well, what am I going to do? And I'm the last guy. <laughs> I said, well, you're, you're going to have to turn around and reverse and winch down the mountainside, you know, through the ice. <laughs> and, uh,
3: that's amazing. Um, yeah.
2: yeah. At least so you told what him what he was going to have to do. Yeah. <laughs> he,
0: he winched me down, you know, in this big 8,000 pound, 200 down this ice. Yeah. And, uh, his, his winch is starting to, uh, like his radio is going out. Like mm-hmm. lights are blinking. It's just draining his battery so much. Yeah. Um, and it was wild for me, uh, Cause I mean, absolutely no brakes. Everything yeah. was on that winch, but but got down and then, because he had had to tie off to a tree to keep from sliding. Mm-hmm. But then when it was his time and he had to go down in reverse, I'm gonna tell you, um, I kept it cool, uh, <laughs> kind of spotting him in reverse. Yeah, and he kept it cool, but that was oh, <laughs> <laughs> so that uh, that w- I think that's wound up my cold weather wheeling. You know,
3: um, you've had enough of it.
0: Yeah. And, and, and even, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a defining moment, but unfortunately there was nobody there to see it. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it, it was something else. So that, that cold weather stuff, I don't know.
2: I don't know. Wow. Brutal. Yeah. That's a different, it's a different ball game altogether when uh, when your actual, you know, The function, the basic functions of your vehicle don't work.
0: Oh, and and the winch, right? So I got home and, uh, you know, I started doing the warranty procedures to get my Mm -hmm. winch replaced and I went out and some of the winch was still unspooled. So I figured I'd go ahead and just pull all the, all the line off Mm -hmm. and I pulled all the line off and the lug had sheared that held the line to the drum. So that was the problem. It that's what sounded like uh, the coffee uh, grinder. but because mm. that line had frozen, it there it was no reaction on the drum,
3: uh, so it put
0: all the force on that that lug and and sheared it off.
3: Interesting,
0: yeah. So, again, frozen frozen lines are no good. <laughs> we was we that camp- synthetic
2: or steel, yeah, it was
0: synthetic. It was synthetic. Um, one of the problems was we try to you know like everybody else you pick a a picturesque campsite right sure. um maybe not the best choice we didn't p- pick the most protected but we we picked picturesque which was always right by the river mm-hmm. so we were busting through the river the water and then immediately setting up camp mm-hmm. well the entire everything in the on the truck froze solid yeah. um, i think the 100s they had to put their trucks in low to break the ice the next morning that was encasing their whole drive line. That sounded like a,
3: wow. a rifle
0: shot going off. Yeah. Oh, That's wow. A, but you get your winch line wet, you know, all mm-hmm. that, it just it just freezes. Wow. So
1: synthetic line is not as good when you're driving through ice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, the that that steel cable could freeze, but I guess you could take a torch to it. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Yeah, but no, that's a little more than I want to do (laughs) on a trail. I I can tell you, um, I had to pull cable on a eighty or a sixty this weekend that had steel cable, and it just, you know, I was thinking to myself, "What in the world?" Um, You know, even kind of cut (laughs) up my gloves uh, messing with it. Wow, it's uh, my my. That
2: LJ, you need to.
0: I like no, to say thank what?
2: you to nick for pulling my cable line twice on this last <laughs> trip to kentucky <laughs> oh man! Uh, your synthetic line was very easy to pull sir um <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's a wild story man i i'd seen um you know y'all y'all go through that experience right but watching it and living it, you know, are always totally different experiences. And oh. and man, it was it's interesting to hear that story and hear the the unique things that you don't think about when you head out for a winter run that can really change the dynamics of of you know your, your trip, right?
0: Yeah, I actually bought a uh, PVC uh not latex, but you know a PVC rain suit that I wear with with bibs in the winter now. So I can work under the truck in the mud and the snow. If I have to, um, smart. Another thing that happened on that, that little run is when I got off of the area, I was diffed out on, there was a huge Mm -hmm. puddle of oil. And so one of the guys was screaming at me to shut my truck off and I went back and smelled it and it was gear. oil. So my front diff was leaking enough to make a puddle while I was stopping on this obstacle. So that was in my mind the whole time we were doing this you know, if I was destroying my front diff, but, uh, so once I did get back to camp, I had to get in the snow and the mud and, and pull my skid plates to find out what was going on. And it was mm-hmm. a, uh, it was the, uh, pinion seal on the front diff. That's okay. I ended up after that trip having to replace, um, both front output seals and both front and rear pinion seals, I guess because of all that ice and water just ate them up. Uh, it's crazy but uh yeah pulling you know 200 pound steel skid sections was not a lot of fun in the snow but but that oh. pvc suit really helped to be honest <laughs> That's <a good> idea.
2: <laughs>
1: i've got some a tarp just a tarp to, to lay on yeah it's you know it gets muddy your hose you know you're covered in mud not fun
2: i've seen that used at the cove we uh we had a fourth gen forerunner that blew a rear diff and one of the guys just happened to have a tarp and that made all the difference because oh, yeah. it was raining and muddy out there and you put that tarp down and you're able to pull those axle shafts out and get everything done without just being absolutely covered in the mud
0: speaking of the cove you know i've never ran that um
2: that's a good trail i, I like the cove i was we were trying too. to go down there two weeks ago when i we went up to kentucky but it rained so much that we we didn't head down that way because that is a trail that if it's raining a lot you do not want to go yeah it's not a fun experience when the water (laughs) is uh is running where it was no Uh, this
0: y'all know i've had my experiences with water
2: i did see you you had to you had to take your uh your intake, intake off before off <laughs> yeah, I saw that one. It, I, I
3: feel
0: <laughs> like I'm pretty proud of that actually. Um, I I don't know if there's many 200 series owners that have pulled their intake manifold uh off at camp in the dark.
2: Not in the uh, United States.
0: me and my buddies got that done. I was pretty bummed after that happened because I thought I was gonna be buying a new engine, a uh, new motor, but, um, yeah, uh, we got it done. My buddies talked me into going ahead and doing it at camp and, mm-hmm. and we pulled the spark plugs and, and, uh, turn the engine water shot 20 feet up in the air on both sides, oh of the truck. <laughs> but we, uh, we buttoned it back up and Hey, she's out there running right now,
3: That's amazing.
1: all those electronics saved you. So that was a, if that was an older model, <laughs> you would have been hosed.
0: Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure when water hit the uh mass airflow sensor, it cut the cut the ignition.
1: Yeah. So did it put it in limp mode or just literally just killed it?
0: No, it killed it dead. Okay. I mean, it was full. I mean, we pulled a, we poured a gallon and a half out of the intake manifold. <laughs> I think I
3: saw when <laughs> you, you turn it over <laughs> and just poured out. <laughs> just,
0: and easy. uh I mean, you couldn't start the truck. I tried to start it because I did not originally think that water was the issue i thought it had just stalled out for some reason maybe something got wet uh, but when you get the starter button it ju- you could just hear it going because it couldn't compress that that water, water. yeah luckily mm-hmm. obviously the uh, the connecting rods are stronger than the starter motor that's good that's good
3: <laughs> right
0: i had
1: a nissan titan that i drove through a huge water puddle And it sucked water in the intake just to get the mass airflow sensor wet enough. And it put it into limp mode. And my truck was like brand new. And I was like, Oh God, I literally just blew my motor because I hit this big puddle with a bunch of people in the car and ended up just turning the truck off, turning it on again. And it was fine. It like got out of like limp mode, but I was freaking out.
0: It probably, yeah. Probably passed some steam after that though. I, I would
1: assume so. Yeah. I had, I had a, I had a, whatever the, aem intake on it so it was like just right right there in the open you know it wasn't it wasn't a wheeling truck but yeah it was sketchy at least
0: when we got my truck started the amount of steam that came out of the exhaust for a while Uh. (laughs) because i didn't have another air filter i had to use the one so we took a compressor and and blew probably a gallon of water out of it it was amazing how much water that thing absorbed Mm -hmm. Um, and we tried to dry everything out as best as we could, but it was still wet. The, um, the two hundreds in the top of the air box have a, a charcoal type filter or canister. I don't, I don't think that's in a 100, but in Mm -hmm. tundras and two hundreds, there's a, you can even see the little layer of charcoal, but that got Mm -hmm. soaked, and that's part of the air box. There's no way to replace it. So we ended up having to just cut it out with a razor knife. So I, I'm probably illegal like in California now. Um, <laughs> whatever that did, but uh, but it worked. So ro- Robust engines, those three URs. Yeah, uh, they uh, they're good engines. Not as smooth as a two UZ, but but definitely reliable and robust and powerful.
3: I mean, if you haven't killed it yet, yeah, yeah, I'd I'd agree with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, leaves the limit tester. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> I, I, I push things, you know, I mean, that's, uh, land cruisers aren't, uh, they weren't built to be babied. I don't feel like Yeah, yeah you know, I agree
3: uh, with that. They, they were, yeah, uh,
0: you know, I, That's I had, impressive. Uh, one of my buddies, he, uh, he had a 2006, he was selling on a, on a cars and bids auction today. Uh-huh. Some of the comments. questions people were asking i was like come on this this truck was built to run across africa and australia and south america Mm -hmm. and
1: with no maintenance no oil changes (laughs)
0: like i think in one of the the before he bought the truck one of the uh notes that a lexus tech had left was customer bought in the truck um because it was driving weird this and it was because the center diff was locked that was the diagnosis um, yeah. like uh, usually they never find
1: the button <laughs>
0: yeah the lady lady that was driving it somehow must have hit or kids must have hit the button and surely it drove weird yes so she took it to lex lexus and that and so somebody was like well that probably hurt the truck and i'm like you know yeah, these, these trucks are meant to blast across the worst landscapes imaginable with minimal maintenance, you know, third world. You're not going to hurt the truck with the center diff lock going to the mall. It's just, yeah. it's not going to happen. Uh, but yeah. yeah, these are really robust trucks, whether it be a a 60, a 80, a 100, or a 200. They're meant to be wheeled. You don't have to take it easy on them. Uh, for some reason, we get it in our heads that, newer vehicles and i guess nicer vehicles were more fragile than older ones but but that's not the case with a land cruiser uh, you can still spank them pretty hard
1: the whole the whole thing is what i what i tell people is like look at the hundred series right and look at the brand new whatever the fifth gen forerunner they're what 500 pounds heavier than a forerunner the new ones? Look at the size of the tie rods. Look at the size of the lower control yeah, arms. I mean right. it's it's comparable from like an F one fifty being the, the Forerunner to an F three fifty being the Land Cruiser. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's insane. If you if you look at the size of the C V next to a forerunner, you're like, is this from a, a Tonka toy? Like it's
0: <laughs> it's insane difference. Well that's why those guys blow out so many tie rod in. Yeah,
2: you know, they've
0: put right if 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 more of those guys actually wheeled their trucks instead of just taking <laughs> pictures of them you'd see, you know,
3: i
2: love you little speak lot
3: more
0: of speaking
2: of uh, truth son
3: yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah you
0: know there's a photo floating around out there of uh i think bud bud built took it of a uh a inner tie rod and from a 200 sitting next to a inner tie rod of a fifth gen, and it's like you know,
1: oh, I gotta see that.
0: That 200 series a <laughs> Tyron, it's like a baby's leg. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but that, that fifth gen is just a toothpick. But, and that goes throughout the entire truck. Now, don't get me wrong, it's a great product by Toyota. It is, yeah, you know, 100%. it's got its place. Um, but for the guys out there that say, why would you spend X amount of dollars on a Land Cruiser when you could spend too much on a Forerunner? um Mm -hmm. you know there's no difference there's a huge difference everything is overbuilt on a land cruiser doesn't matter which land cruiser we're talking about they're they're Mm -hmm. overbuilt and um one of these days a year or two when the 300 comes back to the united states it's going to be a beast too Mm -hmm. um i I can't wait to have one one day so even if i have to wait 25 years
2: it's, it's not just the it's not just the the uh the the, the drivetrain components either. It's the interior, it's the ride, right. it's the whole package. I can't tell you how many times on a trail where I've had someone that just jumps in the cruiser to go up to the next area or whatever because they might have been spotting and they're like, damn, this is cushy, <laughs> this yeah. is really nice, you know, and they ride a little bit longer, like this thing rides really good oh my it's early 2000s this is a
1: 2003
2: vehicle like it's almost 20 years old Well, you're getting here like i'm driving like a you know a lexus or something you know like (laughs) hey why
0: (laughs) kind of my introduction uh if if you went back to like how i got started with cruisers um growing up i was a domestic guy i grew up on a farm you know i was a chevy guy um we made fun of Toyotas, you know, because obviously we didn't know what was going on uh, with that. But I was a Chevrolet guy and and a Jeep guy. I had some Jeeps back then.
2: There's and, my Chevrolet uh, and my Jeep right there.
0: All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I used to run half-ton Chevys with 4017 groundhogs on them and 39.518 boggers. Uh, so. There you go. And, and you know what I did every day? I drove them. Work I on drove it. them every <laughs> single night there was no i mean go right down to the store to get a six pack of beer and break the truck somehow <laughs> but uh and and then later on i settled down a little bit went through a little fast car fast bike phase but uh you know i always was get drawn back to to, to wheeling and, and four wheeling and i had a jeep uh And I think I picked up a Jeep in 2010 and uh, drove it. But I had a Prius as my daily. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really liked it. It was a lot of fun. Got good gas mileage. But every time I pulled up to, like, the Burger King or the Chick-fil-A, they would look at me like, "What?" you know, I felt like they were looking at me and and thinking, what is this dude doing driving a Prius? So uh, I decided (laughs) (laughs) – I saw <laughs> these fifth gen forerunners, and that was right when they came out with the TRD pro. And I said, you know, I think I'll get one of them and I can, I can wheel it. And it can be my daily driver. So I sold the good looking rigs. And, you know,
2: they, they are, are nice. really yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I bought it and put a little lift on it, put some, put some 33s, 34s under it. Uh, and I mean, it was sweet, you know, I bought a brand new one and, uh, drove it for a while but it was so sweet i couldn't get myself to take it off road like i didn't want to mess it up because it was i mean it was pretty you know it uh so i started looking i thought i really liked the forerunner so i thought maybe i could find an old forerunner you know like a a second gen or god forbid a first gen if i could find one that would be sweet um so i started looking and somehow i stumbled on a forum called i hate mud (laughs) <laughs> um,
2: oh, I fucking got uh, you! Uh, I remember
0: my first time
1: too.
0: <laughs> people were talking about these Land Cruisers in this this eighty series, yeah. Um, and I said, "Well, you know, I'll, I'll start with." So I I got on Craigslist and I found one up in Tennessee for a, a factory locked eighty for uh, seven thousand dollars. Then and Can't uh, find them now? <laughs> no, and uh, so I, I went and picked it up. And I started driving, it, and I kind of quit driving my Forerunner. Um, I liked how that eighty felt. I mean, even it was a ninety six, even though it was old as dirt, it had so many miles on it. Uh, it still seemed to just be better all the way around than that that Forerunner. Um, so at this point, I know what mud is, and I'm a member on mud, and I'm reading, and mm-hmm. I read about these one hundreds for you know, as far as a daily driver goes, right? I can wheel the eighty. And hell, I could pick up an older 100 for like 10 grand
3: mm-hmm.
0: and sell my Forerunner and be way, you know, come out good. And that's what I did. I went and found a 2000 LX470 at, in Columbus at a BMW dealership. Had a had 120,000 miles on it. Mm-hmm. I, it was had all its service records from um, a doctor had owned it. Um, picked it up for $10,000 back then. That wouldn't happen now.
2: No, you know, I mean it <laughs> that's an eighteen k rig now.
0: Yeah, it was perfect. I mean, all the uh, all the records, every maintenance had been done. When he took it in to get the oil changed, he'd have them detail it for like two hundred dollars. He'd always get the floor mats replaced, you know. So it was great. <laughs>
2: um, oh, those floor mats just get new ones.
0: But <laughs> driving the Forerunner after the one hundred. It was like being inside of a tin can, you know. Yeah, get
2: out of here! Right, you get know? out of I mean, here!
0: It uh, fifteen years that, that that LX was fifteen years older, but there wasn't a rattle in it. It was like a vault, you know. Everything was just so much better, and uh, that really opened my eyes. Uh, I never thought I would. And then you know, I, I bought another one hundred, um, and then I sold it to get a five seventy as a daily driver. I never could really make the 570 work for me and my persona, I guess. Uh, So I got, I got the land cruiser I have now. At at one time I had like three or four cruisers in the yard. This is first time I'm I'm down to just one, but it, it does everything I need it to do. But, uh, but yeah, the, the cruiser versus every other vehicle, you know, it's just better built better, like a vault mileage means nothing. Maintenance means everything, but i never thought I'd be spending, you know, tens, ten, twenty, 10, 20, 30, dollars on a vehicle that, you know, might have over a hundred thousand or so miles on it. But, uh, mm-hmm. you don't, you know, it just changed my outlook all, all the way around.
1: You can't explain it. Like no one, like like no one just tells you about land cruisers. Like you kind of like stumble upon, you kind of like stumble upon them. And then you're kind of like, you kind of have to figure it out and you're like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, and you start looking into it. Like you said, and you go and I hit mud. And I remember the first time I saw a land cruiser, I was on my dual sport in the desert. This was in 2006, 2007-ish. Mm-hmm. and We are out in this place that was a street legal vehicles only out in the desert. It's called fish Creek. And it's like super popular. Now everyone goes out there. And there was a, it was a land cruiser, an 80 series. And there's this notch that like fits the, you could like barely fit through. And I remember watching this thing and I have a picture of it. And I I saw it like a couple of years ago, I found it. And it was a land cruiser and it was like perfectly clean and it had sliders on it. And he just goes through this notch and he puts his tire up on the wall and he just drives through this notch. And I was like, that thing is insane. <laughs> I was like, that's crazy that that thing, like, it looks really nice. Yeah. And I didn't really think about it until the, until I actually bought a Land Cruiser. And I looked back and I was like, that was a Land Cruiser. Cause I thought it was like a Forerunner or something. And you look back at this stuff and you're like, these are, my wife's is a 98. The one I bought, my hundred series was a 2000 when I had it. And you have heated seats, you have rear heat, like you have rear air conditioning, like what vehicle besides like the suburban had rear air conditioning for your passengers in the rear. Like and it's, it's just crazy. The amount of features and the, the comfort, my wife's, you know, has 250,000 miles and we just drove it to, to out to the, the East coast of Georgia. And it was 105 degrees outside and didn't even worry about it. And it's got, you know, that many miles and it just drives like a tank handles really good. I looked down at the speedometer and I was doing like 85 at one point and everyone's sleeping. And I'm like, it was raining. And I'm like, this thing just tracks well. It's just a big tank. And until you like see it or experience it, you don't, you can't explain it. Like you can lift them you don't have problems you don't have death wobble like you have overbuilt components oversized steering racks like heavy duty axles like mm-hmm. you're set you're you're ready to
3: go
0: yeah you know land cruisers 200s 100s in their time well and, and i guess it's still the 200 time but um i think it's the best all around off road package out there you know without a doubt mm-hmm. when you when you take comfort, reliability, capability, um, durability, when you when you put all that together, um, there's nothing that can beat it. Now, sure, there's you know there's Rubicons, cheap Rubicons are more capable off road.
2: Uh, your keyword was all around right, right it's the, exactly. it's all you know around right. you don't sacrifice anything. Right. you don't you don't sacrifice something to get something else you're right. you're built um, up to a certain caliber payload, and towing and then power.
0: when you go back to the time mm-hmm. of the 80
2: um
0: which had to be an excellent time um the 80 the FZJ 80 had to be the most capable off-roader though at the time i would think um what would yeah. be more capable than an eighty? Off the factory spot. floor,
2: triple in locked. America. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. There's nothing so that was, was locked.
0: Uh, that that was before Rubicons and uh, TJs and JKs. You know, mm-hmm. that was but, you uh, know, like the
2: YJ. The YJ ended production in '95 or '96. Yeah. So yeah, it would have there wouldn't have been a Jeep out there competing with it. The Cherokee no. wasn't an off-road vehicle at all.
1: The G-Wagon was probably the only other one, right? Yeah. Yeah. But we
2: didn't really have those in America right, at that point. Yeah, you had a Land Rover maybe coming yeah, in there trying in to play around. You
3: had a Defender, but regardless, the most widely, uh, or I guess the widely most widely available, capable, reliable, comfortable vehicle had to be the eighty series. Had yeah. to have been yeah. in that time, yeah,
0: and and then uh, yeah, you know, you don't you don't even with with a two hundred now you don't give up a whole lot of capability. I think you, you definitely uh, make up for it in the other ways. I mean, Jeep Wranglers. I don't know, man. That's j- and the prices on those things. Uh, yep. That's that's kind of nuts, right there. Yep. Um,
3: but uh, you can kind of yeah. think of it as a triangle, right? You have reliability, capability. Um, I don't know what the third point is, but Wranglers are kind of a comfortability.
2: Forward yeah, uh, comfortability? That yeah. We say that? we'll call it that
3: <laughs> yeah but like a, because it's so
2: nice to drive my land cruiser 80 miles an hour and then mm-hmm. i could literally get to the trail and i don't change anything yeah unless i got to go into four low but outside <laughs> of that i can go from right. the highway gearing at 80 turn on mm-hmm. a trail and be fine in four high until mm-hmm. i get to something that i have a major spot to get over yeah oh it's incredible to be able to do that that's you impressive know? like that's you can't do that with any other vehicle well
0: Comfortability, if that's what we're calling it. You know, it's, it's or,
2: or bouginess. <laughs> we call yeah. it bouginess? <laughs> it's, it's definitely
0: up there, but yeah. uh but durability as well. Um yes. you know, so heavily skewed that way. Again, your your Rubicon uh may be more capable. I mean, and it is, it is. I mean, uh but, but yeah, that's all yeah.
1: sway bars, you know, front rear locked. Yeah. Four passenger, it's pretty capable. They're 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 pretty nice, but yeah. Put two hundred thousand miles between both of them and only change the oil.
2: Yeah. My, My transmission. Seventy five thousand miles between <laughs> both of them and only change your oil. Yeah. Like.
0: Well, are are man. there are there Jeeps out there that have over two hundred thousand miles?
2: <laughs> uh, I've got the old maybe. old four and TJ <laughs> variants. I'm uh, sure uh, the you see a lot sixes, of those around. Is, yeah. Yeah, I, I can tell <laughs> you. Good.
0: If you find a JK from 2000, that's got say 300,000 miles on it. It's not still bringing, you know, $12,000.
3: No, no,
2: that North star engine doesn't keep up. So there's <laughs> a minivan. No, I engine. had a,
3: my JKU a had <laughs> Yeah, that's what I had. That's exactly. So I had a JKU <laughs> with the 3.8 minivan engine and it had 130,000 miles and the, um, the rear main seal started leaking. Those I are on. all of them. Yeah. And I traded, I traded that in for a uh, DLX 470 that had 230,000 miles, not a single issue with it. So a hundred thousand more miles, that's crazy. And I had zero issues, you know, with the, the Land Cruiser. So to your point, Lee, these things are damn near bulletproof. I mean, maybe if you sink it with a couple of gallons in a Creek into your manifold, maybe, but <laughs> hell, it sounds like you
2: made it <laughs> out scammed with that. <laughs> Well, (laughs) well, some people forget it's even at 250,000 miles, you have to do some maintenance. Like these vehicles still require maintenance, but the heart and guts and drivetrain of the vehicle are going to be solid for a very long time. As long as the components supporting it are kept within good maintenance.
0: Sure. You know, and uh, uh, you, you hardly ever, you won't hear anything bad about a cruiser unless someone has bought one thinking they were going to get a, reliable cheap vehicle because they've read about it on mud but they don't do their own work so mm-hmm. the next thing they know they gotta they gotta replace this replace that they're they're having to spend so much at the uh yeah. at the mechanic shop i mean if you pick one of these up know what you're getting into you're getting a very you're getting a great vehicle you know that that'll that'll stay with you for years and years and years but you also need to know how it operates and and Kind of baseline some things, right? Um, Baseline. Yeah. yeah, I've heard of guys on MUD. They're basically saying uh, one guy had a quote from a dealer where they were going to charge him seven grand to baseline the 100. And, uh, you know, some guys were saying that's a pretty good deal for all of that, but do it yourself and, you know, do it for $1,500 over a little bit of time um, and that's my big thing I, I do like to talk to people and i do push learning your to do your own work i know that's hard for some people because of time constraints but
3: mm-hmm.
0: pick up a factory service manual you cannot break a 100 series working on it i mean you'd have to you'd have to do something you know you'd you'd have to try to almost if you follow the steps you can't break it same thing with a 200 and an 80 so, just take your time, learn how to do it, and uh you'll have a vehicle that'll heck last you I don't know till till three hundreds are available for uh you know, <laughs> okay. fifteen yeah. <laughs> thousand dollars be
2: as expensive as forty fives are now, <laughs> <Yeah>. oh man. <laughs> Well, hey, Lee, this has been a lot of fun, man. Thanks for coming on the uh, the podcast and hanging with us. We normally go about an hour. Uh we're sitting at about two hours and 20 minutes right now. Oh wow. (laughs) Um (laughs) so uh so I think we're gonna make this a double feature and uh and we'll do a little two parts here probably. Uh but it was flowing so well, it's been a such great conversation. We couldn't kill it. Uh we wanted to keep it rolling, man. Uh, but thanks for joining. And uh I know we're all gonna be seeing you on the trail sometime soon.
0: Definitely.